Hello, late night listeners. Uh, this is Brian, and I wanted to let you know that we have a Patreon. It's a really fun thing. It's a great way to support the show, and it gets you access to all kinds of exclusive stuff. We have exclusive mini episodes. We have videos of me, for example, writing music for various things of the show. Leighton's doing all sorts of stuff, and it's just a really fun community. You also get access to our Discord if you sign up for our $5 a month tier or up. So uh, if you like the show and you like what you hear, please check us out over on Patreon. It's really a great way to to support us. Thanks so much. And enjoy Late Night with Brian Wecht. It's my Don Pardo impression. We are live. Everyone, thank you so much for joining us in our first ever real, I, I'm not counting the fucking scrim live stream from uh, two months ago that we did for Thankmas, uh, where uh, I played scrim while Leighton uh, talked me through it. But this is our first ever real late night live stream. Uh, we may do some more of these in the future. We promised people would do this a couple months ago. And now we're fucking doing it because we are people of our word. That was a late night promise. That's right. Uh, I am curious in the chat. Tell us where you're from. Australia. What the fuck? Oh, my God. Lots of people. Wow. Look at this. Can we get to 69 viewers? This is important to me. I was thinking we have to do a 69th episode spectacular when we get there in a few months, right? Yeah, I fully agree. I'm scrolling through uh, Minnesota, Australia, L.A., Idaho, UK, Wales, nice. Lots of people all over. Indiana, this is pretty great. Canada, San Diego. Fellow North Carolinian, hello. Maureen, Maureen's odometer hit 36969 not too long ago. Hey, hey, that's a big thumbs up from me. You said thumbs up and not comes up. You know what? I should have. Hold on. Let me retake that. Everyone erase that from your collective memory. That's a big comes up. From me. Solid. Actually, no. Comes down. Okay. Gotcha. Don't come flood the chat. Uh, <laughs> just as a, as a request. Yes, please. Please try to keep the come talk to a bare minimum. My six-year-old is literally just outside this door. So I don't want her to come in and then say, Daddy, what's that word that everybody keeps saying? Yeah, because she's an active user in the chat. We had to ban her because she wouldn't stop saying horrible things. Yeah, about me specifically. Yeah. If anyone heard the episode that went up today, she did write me an apology note for being too mean to me, which I thought was very, very cute. Now, we never introduce people this early in the show. That would be very unusual in a normal show, but this is a special show because we're doing a live stream. So can everybody please welcome our special guest, Vernon Shaw. Hey, everybody. Happy to be here. Dude, it's so great to have you. We've been meaning to have you on for a while. What a great way to do it. I got to say, it's a dream come true. Just being here with the boys, just chatting. Just vibing. Oh, we're totally vibing right now. It is a lot rarer than I am currently making it out to be because I don't know what you guys have been doing for quarantine, but I've been locking myself inside of my home. Have you been locked down super hard? I mean, I haven't been locked down, locked down super hard. Like, I'll take my dog on a walk and I'll, uh, I don't know, I'll, I'll go get coffee. That's about it, man. Keep talking. Yeah, so anyways, I was just walking down the street. And, um, you know, I make my way over to Cosmic Vinyl, and guess who I see there? Aaron and Susie, who I know. And um, I wasn't prepared to see people, so 
So I started sweating. The end. Brian, can you do a live late night theme song? I have no idea how it goes, but yes, I'll make one up. Okay, amazing. I just don't know how much you realize that like when you're like, oh, just do whatever. And then, and then you do whatever. It's not a whatever thing. I think that's better than whatever. Better than whatever <laughs> is what I strive for. So yeah, thank you very much. Hey, look, we got to 69. We're at 69. There we are. Hey, nice. Vernon, how do we know each other? Do you want to tell the story? So how we met? Let's go all the way back. Way back in the day, I worked at this place called Maker Studios, and Dan worked there at the time, and I worked right next to him, and we were buds. And one day, he was just like, my buddy Brian's coming in from Oxford, and I'd already been a huge fan of Ninja Sex Party up until this point. And then I remember you coming into the office with a really high energy. I can't remember much about the conversation we had. I know we like went out to lunch somewhere in Culver City, but I remember leaving the conversation and just thinking, now there's a guy with a good attitude. Oh, that's very sweet. <laughs> Now, there is a guy I can torture. (laughs) (laughs) And then, you know, like, little did I know, like, how much mayonnaise would enter my life from that point. Yeah, well, that's what it means to be my friend. But actually, on that note, sorry, I'm going to step off and I'm going to get a show and tell item really quickly. Oh, yes, please. We didn't ask him to do this. The pro move being on screen for 10 minutes and then immediately leaving. Leighton, how do you think this is going so far? Quick, before he gets back. Shit show at the fuck factory. Leighton, don't say that! (laughs) (laughs) Back. A couple years back, um, I was the only person in our group of pals who had a record player, and you guys were doing the Starbomb release on vinyl. It was like you, me, and Brent, and we just sat there and listened to the Starbomb albums. So I have here the two test pressings you gave me that you signed. One of them says... (laughs) This is Starbomb's self-titled Starbomb album. It says, Vernon, fuck you, Ninja Brian. And what I thought was really masterful of you in terms of just building on top of a comedic joke is Uh your second signature on Player Select, that's your second album, is Vernon, I said, fuck you, then your signature. I have no memory of doing that, but I'm glad I did that. (laughs) Truthfully, two of the most prized things in my apartment. Aw, that's so sweet, dude. Thank you. We haven't made any announcements yet, but we did a limited run of those Starbomb vinyl whenever that was, five years ago or something. And if people want more Starbomb vinyl, they should pay attention because exciting things are in the works. I don't want to announce anything out of turn, but uh, pretty soon. There'll be an announcement pretty soon. Congratulations. Thank you. There wasn't a lot of like green room talk like, oh, how's it going? But like, how's it going, Brian? Prefer the term pillow talk. Not green room talk, please. The pillow talk, yeah. How is it going? It's going fine. As you know, I own a six and a half year old and she's great, but she's home all the time, as are we. I've actually started calling Leighton Latin now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> when you get gifted a fucking tear ass nickname by a six year old, that sounds like what David Lynch would call someone he's working with. You got to use it. Yeah, folks. I don't know if you know, but David Lynch gives everybody nicknames, including Colin Machen Amick. Magkin and Kyle McLaughlin is Kale. I did not know this. It's a fun thing to collect where you just go through YouTube interviews of people who've worked with David Lynch and you try to find out what their David Lynch nickname was. Nicholas Cage is Nixter. Like he's like, you got to reach for the big fish, Nixter. Wait, what Lynch thing was Nicholas Cage in? Why am I not placing this? Wild at heart. Oh, of course. Yes. What would your guys' Lynch nicknames be? Is it Latin for you, Leighton, or would you pick a different one? I think it has to be Latin. What about y'all? 
alpha dog. <laughs> Vernon, I feel like you would be like Venus or something. There's like two good nicknames that you can work off of Vernon. And at times in my life, I've been called Vernon. And I've been called V. Surely someone has done a hey, Vern to you, right? Hey, Vern. Oh, yeah. All this, if you're of a certain age, that's literally the first thing I hear from you when I say that. Wait, that was uh, Ernest, right? Yes, Jim Varney. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I'm acting like I'm not stoked about my name. I truly love my name. When I worked at Maker Studios, like when I met you, my nickname there, it was Viral Vernon. Oh, yeah. Do you want to say why? Yeah. I don't think I've ever said this on a podcast before. We need to do a sound drop. Late night exclusive. Okay, so back when I worked at Maker Studios in 2012, Maker Studios was this big YouTube content creation company. They were funded by Google. They had just like a lot of stupid money. And I ended up as a uh, creative executive there by the time I left. But back when I was just like a lowly manager there or whatever, the internet was very different then where you would see something viral slowly happening. Like you'd see something like reaching towards a tipping point over the space of like two weeks rather than over the space of minutes like it happens on the internet now. The interesting part is that like all you had to do was just go on Reddit and then you'd be able to see everything right before it blew up, right before it ended up on Facebook when your parents started posting about it, right? Yeah, I was on Reddit and then I saw the original Harlem Shake. I was like, that's fucking hilarious. And then I saw two more posts over the next few days of larger and larger groups doing the Harlem Shake. Like at this point, it was just very localized to Reddit, just a bunch of like Reddit shitheads doing it. And they were all in college dorm rooms. And Maker Studios was this big company that worked out of this huge warehouse. So I just convinced the entire company to do it. It's called Harlem Shake Office Edition. That's still on YouTube, if you look it up. It's still on YouTube, yeah. That ended up being the one that took the Harlem Shake off of Reddit and onto like a worldwide stage, I guess. It wasn't a original idea. We were just like expanding on the idea. But because it sort of broke out of the format of just like kids in their college dorm rooms doing it, that sort of made it fun for everybody to do it. And it got a lot of millions of views. And I ended up getting credit for it in like an article that described me as the evil corporate mastermind behind the Harlem Shake, which that was dope. Corpo Vernon. It's sort of like pushed maker studios into a direction and i was able to take credit for it or whatever but coming with the added curse of whenever like someone was taking a tour around maker studios they'd stop off at my desk and they'd be like and this is viral vernon <laughs> don't get too close to him he's catching it sounds like an std venereal disease vernon <laughs> someone in the chat before was saying that during covid viral vernon takes on a whole new connotation. Oh, yeah. I don't want to associate myself with that version of Vernon anymore. Also, Viral Vernon is possibly the worst name you could bestow on a single person. Like, that is <laughs> truly horrifying. It fucking hurts, man. It fucking hurts. It was like the reification of the germ that you planted there that made Dream Daddy the fucking uh, viral behemoth that it did, along with a lot of luck. But we can talk about that later. We're not talking about it because I'm tired of talking about it. <laughs> That's right. So we should have said, I mean, I'm sure everyone knows, but we have the Dream Daddy, Dream Team or Daddy Team? Depressed Team. Creators of Dream Daddy, you can just call us that. The creators of Dream Daddy, right there together on the screen. Isn't that amazing, everybody? There they are. Oh, man, it's so great. Look at us. Yeah. Vernon, it's like we don't talk at all. Like this is, <laughs> I haven't seen you in forever. Like, what's going on? Like, what were you doing perhaps this morning around noon? Like... <laughs> Were we on a writing call where we didn't write at all? <laughs> what? No. <laughs> well, one thing Vernon was doing around noon, I think we're going to see later in the episode, because he was accepting some brown paper bags from me 
outside his apartment. Not in the fun way. This isn't like a fun drug deal. Yes, it was. Yeah, I, I totally agree. It was super fun. I saw Brian afterwards. He gave me the money. That's right. You slipped me a rolled up thing of 20s. It was great. <laughs> You don't know what's in those bags. Don't want you to look at them yet. Please tell me you refrigerated them. Oh, yeah. They're in the fridge. Were they moving when they got back to your place? They were not. But I will say every time historically that you have made me play Is It Mayo, it has 100% of the time been Mayo. Well, I can promise nothing. (laughs) And I haven't even announced that we're doing Is It Mayo because we might not be. I just assume. It might be something else. I don't know. I haven't said anything. Is it, is it mayo? One last thing I want to say about uh, Viral Vernon is that they started parading me around to like big executive meetings. It's like, this is our viral guy. Like he'll make whatever you do go viral. And there I was kind of like sitting in the back of the boardroom, just like, oh, it's kind of like you virally charge it. You don't make a viral piece of content. Viral is what happens to the content if you have all the ingredients in the recipe. But that's how I got to have a meeting with Will I Am, And it was the most fucking batshit insane thing that had happened to me in my life at that point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was there with all the execs at Maker Studios at Will I Am's recording studio called, and this is not a joke, it's called The Future. So he brings us to the future. Wait, was it an odd future? No, it was just a regular future. Okay, good to know. But they did have a 360 degree white psych wall. Psych wall? Yeah, you know when you like take modeling photos in front of a big white wall with a curved yeah, yeah. bottom? It was that, but 360 degrees around. So like you walk in and you're in this fucking Thunderdome. And he was like showing us all the stuff. And he was really, really proud of... They have those Skype robots, the ones that can like just sort of like wheel around the office with someone on Skype. Uh, he was like really excited to show us that. He was really excited to show us his watch technology. And then we all sit down in Will I Am studio with Will I Am. It's like me and a bunch of the execs from Maker Studios. They were like, yeah, we can make you something viral. Like, this is Vernon, our viral guy. The contents of the meeting weren't really as funny as at some point in the middle of the meeting, Will I Am has his assistant walk in and then gives him like a protein shake. Like he doesn't acknowledge it at all. Nobody in the room acknowledges it. And then the rest of the time, he's sipping on a protein shake from the bottle like a baby. (laughs) Wait, did it have a nipple on it? (laughs) No, no, no. It was one of those like shaker ones you do after a workout. But like he was like cupping it and drinking it. The idea of Will I Am drinking a baby bottle with a (laughs) protein shake on it is very appealing to me. Was it mayo? It was not mayo. But after that, I thought that was it. You just do a general like Hollywood meeting. He's like, oh, what are you working on? And then I remember it was Oscars night, like 2012, because I had to step out from an Oscar party. When I got a phone call, it was Will I Am on the other end of the line. Calling you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Calling me and my buddy Alicia and talking to us about ideas for his music video. And the only thing I remember was that he was so excited He's just like, just put me on a horse in the weirdest place you can think of. Like, I want to be on a zebra in New York City. And literally nothing came of it. Well, no, no, that's not true. This is how you ended up replacing Apple D app in the Black Eyed Peas. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's just that easy. Vernon, speaking of the viral thing, so like in a post-Stream Daddy Society post-ads, you and I were brought into a lot of meetings by people who were like, we want to make a viral video game. <laughs> flashbacks. Our dear friend, whose name I will not say, got us into a very fancy boardroom where we were talking about uh, the virality of things and having to start from the bottom of us being like, right, so we work with this Let's Play channel and all of them were like, what's a Let's Play? And they're like, wait, whoa, 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 go back. Wow. 
And then building the blocks of like, okay, so this is what a Let's Play is. They play video games. And then a dating sim. And they're like, what's a dating sim? And building up to the daddies. By the time that we were at the daddies, they were all just like staring at us. Four hours later. Truly. And like, we were just like grasping at straws, I feel like. Just trying to tap dance. Like, haha, we know what we're talking about. We don't sound insane right now. The thing I remember most about those is like, we would always talk about the whole of the experience. We always get to the point in like our fucking tamp dancing routine was like, and then we got a lot of mean emails from people who were mad at us for a specific reason. And then we had both had mental breakdowns. That's weird, right guys? And what we got every single time in those meetings, this is a knock on people because I don't expect other people to like have the entire internet fall down on them like it happened to us. But every single time, like there would always be someone in the rooms like, hey man, haters make you famous. Like, what's the problem? Don't listen to them. Sounds like someone who's never had a legit hair. <laughs> Just log off. Twitter's stupid. Don't look at it. It's like, <laughs> fuck yourself. Goodbye. Uh, haters make you famous. I hate you. Adios. And then, like, you're just, like, sitting there patiently explaining to them, like, oh, well, there's, like, this real-life representation of you, and then there's the digital representation of you, and when people attack the digital representation for you, somehow it feels, like, more painful because, like, you put so much of yourself into that, like, representation of yourself that you think is squeaky clean and cool and lovable, and then they're like, but just haters. Fuck haters. Yeah, it's very exciting when you're having a mental breakdown and people are like, what? It's doing great. I haven't seen anyone say anything bad about that game. And I'm like, I'm dying. Please. They're always like, what's the problem? And it's like, I don't know, man. But now I'm on fucking SSRIs and I'm going to therapy weekly, Dr. Beaky. Have you two talked publicly much about the your reaction to, to the haters? Or is that something that you haven't spoken too much about? I did a well-researched GDC talk about it, and also Vern and I talk about it constantly, and also it comes up in every interview and every consultation meeting I ever do. It's weird seeing faces while we're doing this. Yes, I kind of love it, but it does mean that I can't stare over into the middle distance. Yeah, I'm normally curled up resting bitch face, and as you will see me repeatedly pull on my face, that's called the coddle maneuver because I have two collapsed nasal canals that I can't breathe out of unless I fucking move my face or put on a breathe right nasal strip, which I might do. Vernon, I wanted to ask you, so Leighton alerted me that you might have some music theory questions. This is a first. We don't really talk about it that much on the show, but I did set up this keyboard and I don't play the piano. I just learned right now, right before we started, and I'm just going to give it my best shot. So I am here for you as a resource. I guess the quarantine thing that I've been trying to do to stay sane is I've always wanted to learn music and I've never really been able to figure it out. You know, like I picked up the guitar as a freshman in high school and I didn't figure that out. I took piano lessons when I was a kid. I played the flute in middle school and none of it ever made sense. And the only way it started making sense was when I just started dedicating an hour to it every day and just sitting down at an instrument and then just fucking watching YouTube tutorials a bunch. Wait, so you're trying to convince me that practicing something makes you better at it? It's fucking wild when you think about it. I don't buy it. I don't buy it. Nah. I was talking about this with Leighton earlier, and I've been writing for most of my life. I've been writing professionally for a good enough amount of time, and I have a couple things that I've written that have been seen by people, and I feel very proud of my understanding of writing. And I will also say that like writers are the la laziest fucking people on earth. Writers are cowards. All artists are cowards. Artists for cowards. Writing is easy. I'm sure you know the famous, I think it's a Fran Leibowitz quote, which is, I hate writing, but I love having written. Yeah, absolutely. When you're developing skills as a writer, you're sort of like building your own toolkit inside of your head. When I'm 
writing something like Dream Daddy with Leighton, you have these tools of like, how do I get into a scene and how do I get out of a scene? And like, what's the emotion that I want to convey in this scene? And it's all very internalized, right? I've just spent such a long part of my life just watching movies and then trying to write movies and then watching movies more that like I have this internalized research library of my head of like well if I don't know how to get out of the scene how have other people gotten out of the scene and then the more I practice piano or the ukulele or the guitar the more I realize that musicians are just as much of cowards as writers are you should meet physicists (laughs) are physicists cowards too like can can we fight them in the sense that you know, physics is very hard, and the, the at least for theoretical physics, the standard solution is to reduce everything to an easy problem that's already been solved. So your goal in all of physics is to try to find a way of beating some mathematical thing into the form of something you know how to do. That's understandable, right? Yeah, because the crazy thing about physics is that sometimes things look one way, but they're secretly something else. I'm not going to go into any details, but it's like literally by doing some manipulations, you can make something that looks one way look like a totally other problem that you know how to do. And so any theoretical physicist will say, oh, physicists are very, very lazy because you just want to map everything onto a problem you already know. And that can be a hard thing to do, But once you do it, you're like made. And so that's one of the big challenges in physics is figuring out which problems are secretly the same as one another. That's so interesting. I feel like there's a bit of an overlap in a creative field because I feel the way I best understand things is if I can explain them simply. The preamble to these music questions is that like, I think I'm slowly starting to figure out the relationships of chords between one another. I don't know, man, I spent a lot of time looking at my like circle of fifths over here. Can you show us the circle of fifths? There you go. That's the circle of fifths. You're one of the only people I know who owns a printer. (laughs) Yeah, man, I'm a writer. That's like literally the one thing you need. Well, it's the equivalent of like having a pickup truck where everyone's moving and they're like, oh, can I borrow your pickup truck? And instead it's me being like, can I print this thing for my taxes, please? See, the trick is for anyone in chat who's wondering like how you can like maintain friends in times of strife, like quarantine, just have a laser printer. People come over when you have a laser printer. It's the reason my marriage has survived is because I have a laser printer in my garage studio. (laughs) Print that love out. Can I try explaining my understanding of the pentatonic scale to you? I found a worse way to explain this than using the chord organ on my desk. The chord organ is uh, that famous instrument that like Daniel Johnson played. Uh Layton, keep this in the pocket, but we got to tell the Daniel Johnson story later. I think I've told that story on this show. Daniel Johnson story. We we watched the guy cry. Oh, fuck you. Fuck you for pulling this out. (laughs) I found the one thing worse than the chord organ. It's a melodica. Yeah. Oh, God. Guys, everybody, Vernon is reverse vaping right now. He's tone vaping. (laughs) The melodica is the tone vape. That's right. (laughs) The jewel organ. (laughs) I'm very proud of myself for that. In terms of my understanding of music. Sorry, hold on. What? What? It's our counseling session. Marriage counseling. It's starting. No, no, I'm I'm busy. I can't make it. Just wrap it up. I can't make it. I'll I'll, I'll call you. Wrap it up. No, I'm busy. It's starting. I can't do marriage counseling right now. I'm sorry. (laughs) Damn No, this is what I have to deal with every time we get on a call to fucking write or watch a film. It's always, I leave to go piss and then I come back and he's playing the Decemberists on the goddamn ukulele. So upsetting, yeah. Okay, 
do whatever the fuck it is you're going to do with that thing so we can put it away. Yeah, okay. For the longest time, I didn't have a really understanding of the concept of a major scale or... Dr. Fisher says that this is... Oh, sorry, I'm sorry. You have to commit. You have to commit. So you have I can't. To I, I'm, 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 I'm working. I, I don't get paid for this. You know that, right? <sighs> sorry, guys. <laughs> I never really understood the major scale or like why that shit sounded good. I just assumed it sounded good. And what I didn't realize is that I thought scales were just like. Oh, I'm so I'm so sorry I'm so sorry, Vernon. You what? are 53 years old. It is time for you to grow up and come out here and save our marriage. Anyway, do you want to? Uh... Do you want to deal with that? No, no, no. She'll get over it. This happens a lot. Brian, why is your wife texting me? I can't answer that. She says to come over. Don't come over. No, no, no. Don't do not enable her. I thought I was supposed to be a part of this family therapy session. Let's get back to the music. We'll talk about this later, Layton. Okay, okay. sorry, Fernand, hold on one second, My sorry. My lawyer wants you to sign that. Yeah, hold on, I have to sign some papers for some reason. Rachel, text me back, please call me. Layton wants you to text her back for whatever reason. All right, there you go. Congratulations. Anyway, Fernand, you were saying. Okay, so my understanding of the major scale was, you know, let's work away from this bit because I just don't want to play this melodica anymore. <laughs> you fuck, you, you brought, brought it this out. upon yourself. You brought out the tone vape. I just had a fucking wave of shame that comes when I pull out the melodica. And normally there isn't this many people watching me. Usually it's just Leighton on call and me pulling out the fucking tone zone. And me begging you to shut the fuck up. But what I'm telling you now is that you need to finish what you started. You need to take out that goddamn melodica and you need to rip some fat fucking tone vape clouds. Get that cumulonimbus. What I love about this is generally speaking, most music theory questions don't have 25 minutes of emotional backstory <laughs> before people ask them. <laughs> Okay, so here's my question. You've got the major scale. Close enough. Yeah, close enough. What I didn't realize, like, when you were doing chords and, like, the major and minor scale is that, like, when you have your first, which sounds good because it's your root note, and your fifth, and correct me if I'm wrong, which is G. Are you in C? I'm in C. Is this correct? A G vibrates one and two thirds as many times in frequency than a C, and that's why it sounds good? Uh, I'd have to work it out. So let's see. The overtones are, I think, I think those are the first. So the uh, fundamental is here. The next op octave is, so that's twice the frequency. Yeah, I think that's three times the frequency. So I think the G, unless I'm getting the overtone series wrong, a G should be three times the frequency of the fundamental, which is, uh, three halves of if you're just talking about the next fifth up so yeah three halves okay what really broke it open for me was realizing that there was no center note between those two like the exact sonic vibration there isn't a key on that scale that's between the two so then you're stuck with either the major form which is e or the minor form which is e flat right well, so this actually brings up an interesting thing, which is that, so if you go just by overtones, this is a classic thing in music theory, uh, you can't tune everything equally, right? So if, if you go your standard overtone series and then you look at the chromatic scale. Sorry, when you're playing the chromatic scale, that's just every note on the keyboard, right? Yes, I would just went C to C up in half steps. 
the way that people tune these now is so there's a uniform ratio of the frequencies. So there are 12 notes in the chromatic scale. Octave to octave is a factor of two. So if you want to multiply by, you know, you go from a C to a C sharp, C sharp to D, D to D sharp, et cetera. If you want to get to two and multiply consistently as you go up, you need to multiply each note by two to the one twelfth power so that by the time you get to the twelfth iteration, you've doubled the frequency. And so this is a consistent tuning throughout. But if you just went, I think the way the overtone series goes by itself, so that's fundamental. Two, three, four, five. That's the E up there doing C. So that would be uh, five times the frequency of the, the root. But that is not consistent with tuning everything equally. I have no idea if this is interesting to people. Uh, we can also edit this out as we go. To bring it back to the minor pentatonic scale, I bought a guitar recently. One of the first things they teach you is like being able to do the pentatonic scale on a fretboard. I thought about it and it just seems that the reason why so many people do like improvisational melodies in the pentatonic scale is because it's just the major scale with all the potentially problematic notes taken out, right? Sort of. So honestly, most pentatonics I see people really using when they're soloing are minor pentatonics. So for those of you who don't know, pentatonic means a five note scale. So the C minor pentatonic is C, E flat, F, G, B flat. One, two, three, four, five. That's a minor pentatonic. You can do major major versions of that as well. So wait, the, the pentatonic, that's one, two, three, five, six, or one, two, four, five, six. You know what? I always forget what the major pentatonic is since I very seldom use it. I should really know this. And I can't remember what the major pentatonic is. In the minor, it's one, three, four, five, dominant seven or seven in minor. Honestly, I feel like the reason people use it is because there's a lot of overlap between different chords you might play diatonically in the minor scale. And also if you're a guitarist, a guitar is really where this comes in. I mean, it comes in everywhere, but especially with a guitar, it's kind of a natural hand shape. And something someone told me when I was studying theory in college, some like older pianist was like, it's all shapes, man. It's just all shapes. It was like a jazz guy. <laughs> <laughs> I've been practicing my chord inversions on the piano. A uh, chord inversion is just when you play, you can play the notes out of order and they'll still sound relatively the same, but they have different flavors. It just means changing what notes on the bottom. So here's, those are the three inversions, root if, and then uh, first and second inversions of a C major chord. Mm -hmm. So with the ratios of frequencies, I never think about that personally. Would you say the stuff is mostly internalized for you? That I had to think about because I know physics, but like the what the ratio of a C to an F sharp. Rather than the ratios, have you gotten it to a point where you're just like, this sounds good, this sounds good? To some extent, really what music theory does for me is it lets me know what the natural choices to make would be and then lets me do something different. So it's one of those learn the rules in order to break them kind of thing that happens so frequently in art. And especially because I studied jazz theory primarily, that's been very, very useful. I use that all the time when writing because I know how to kind of spice things up just a little bit in order to make them interesting. Certainly. Music's fucking fascinating. I didn't realize up until I was like 30 that the notes just repeat over and over again and only like seven or eight of them sound good together at a time. Like You, my friend, have to expand your concept of what sounds good. <laughs> and I very seriously mean, like once you start listening to atonal music. All I'm trying to do, Brian, is start a Misfits cover band. How long <laughs> does it take until I can start a Misfits cover band? Oh, then you're, you're already there. You, 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 were, you were there before you learned the guitar, to be frank. 
I really recommend listen to early 20th century composers Schoenberg, Berg, and Bayburn, especially Berg. Berg has a bunch of atonal and serial stuff, which are two different compositional techniques. Atonal is literally anything goes. Serial is a whole different fucking thing where you put the notes kind of in a set order called a tone row and then you mess around with that. You like basically invent a new scale. Listen to Berg stuff because it is wild. So he has this one opera, Wozzeck, which is totally atonal. And I think it's just lush and beautiful and amazing and very depressing, extremely depressing. It's about a soldier that sells himself for medical experiments. And it's my favorite opera. And I think it is legitimately wonderful. So you want to start like moving down this path a little bit at a time. And by getting your ear used to more atonal stuff, you know, I said it flippantly before, but I really do think that you can start to expand your notions of what sounds good the more you listen to other stuff. And of course, not every culture uses the same 12 tone scale, right? There are cultures around the world that use microtonalities and other things. So you don't have to divide the octave into 12 parts. You can divide it into different numbers. This composer, Harry Parch, divided the octave into, get this, 43 parts. And those are notes in between the notes. Harry Parch is like one of my favorite internet musician beefs. Uh Uh-oh. Back in the day, the way that one would like find and consume music in like the late 2000s, mid 2010s, he would just go to your music blogs and like I would check Pitchfork, I would check Stereo Gum, I would check. Hold on. Vernon, you expect me to believe that you read Pitchfork? (laughs) Oh, that's a hard pill to swallow, my friend. Funnily enough. And this might be something that's really tough for everyone in the chat to hear. But yeah, I read hipster music blogs, man. I still do. Anyway, back in the day, Harry Patch died. Harry Patch was the last surviving soldier in World War One, I, I think, for the British. Harry Patch? Really? Harry Patch, yeah. So Wait, wait. His name was Harry Patch? Harry Patch, yeah. <laughs> wait, what was his name? It was, it was Harry Patch. His name was Harry Patch. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not getting it. Can you say that a couple more times? I really couldn't hear you. Sorry, Harry Patch. Did you just want a clean take of that one? I can give you a different read if you want me to. Louder and say it like you're horny. Louder with your mouth open. (laughs) (laughs) It's uh, Harry Patch. Thank you. Harry Patch, the last surviving like British soldier, I think, of World War One, died. And then Radiohead released a song, The Day He Died, to honor him. And then there's this other band called Fiery Furnaces, who went to the music blogs and complained. They called Radiohead pretentious because they thought that they were making a song about Harry Parch. Wait, the, the Fiery Furnaces called Radiohead pretentious? Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. Blueberry Boat was a formative album for me, but... Me too, actually. So they thought that Radiohead made a song called Harry Parch. They went to a reporter and they mouthed off about it. And then they found out that they were idiots for doing that because it was actually about Harry Patch. <laughs> then they made another statement to a journalist about acknowledging their mistake. And they're like, at least we're not Beck, Scientologist, whatever. <laughs> they're bringing Beck into it. Wow. And then the next fucking day, Beck released Harry Parch. <laughs> Randomly. No, 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 no. It was the most like indie music rapper beef I've ever seen in that like Beck was pissed off at Fiery Furnaces for making fun of him. So he made a song and released a song called Harry Parch, which utilized Harry Parch is famous for like microtonal frequencies or. Yeah. So he built a bunch of weird instruments. What was the name of his organ? It was like the chromalodeon or something which did this 43 note scale he built a bunch of bananas google harry parch uh, i believe it's p-a-r-t-c-h instruments you'll see all this weird looking shit i think it was kind of inspired by gamelan stuff among other things 
I was going to bring up, since you mentioned Radiohead, and that's my in, you have a very interesting theory about OK Computer that I think is very <laughs> compelling. <laughs> I truly believe that your favorite song off of that album can define your musical taste as it exists today. Ooh. Yeah, it's the trajectory. So Brian, what's your favorite song off of OK Computer? Well, I'll tell you what it's not. It's not Karma Police. I have to listen to this whole... I know Kid A way better. All right, Layton, what's yours? It's no surprises. I think now it's kind of turned to... Oh, you mean Sad Beeps, the song? Fuck you, okay? (laughs) (laughs) It's like, oh, do you like beeps? Would you prefer them to be sad? Yeah. (laughs) How has that defined your uh, musical taste as it exists now? It's Sad Beeps. I think your theory only works if you're the right age to have your taste defined by Radiohead. And I, I, I'm slightly too old for that. Okay, so my answer of no surprises, that is no longer my favorite off of the album. But when I was in high school crying myself to sleep over OK Computer every night, no surprises was my shit. Now it's exit music for a film. So I feel like no surprises created the trajectory towards sad beep. And now I'm like just a different type of sad beep. But Brian, at a time where you were young and for, oh yeah, you're too old for this. Never mind. I did not start listening to Radiohead until I was like in grad school. So I would have been in my... Was that Pablo Honey era? No. I think the first Radiohead album I listened to was Kid A. I don't know when exactly it came out, but I was at least in my mid-20s. So my favorite Radiohead song, hands down, is Everything in Its Right Place, which I think is just fantastic. But that's on Kid A, right? Yes. It's not on OK Computer. No. That or I like the national anthem a lot, too. Those are two solid ones. Mine off of OK Computer is electioneering. In terms of the music that I listen to now, I like really big, really distorted wall of sound stuff. Electioneering is like a very like high flying distortion rock song. And like I find myself very drawn to those sorts of some of my favorite bands are like Delta Spirit and Cold War Kids. So like those really like heavy riffs really stuck with me. Yeah, I do want to make sure we answer some questions. All right. So many people voted for this. What is your favorite organic slash artificial smell? Tobacco, vanilla, together. Tobacco and vanilla together? Hmm. Yeah, like candles. That's my go-to. I would also say this, you know, when you walk into a Subway sandwich shop and you get hit by that wall of fake bread? Plastic bread. (laughs) That hot, fresh bread. It's real good. Uh, Vernon? Like a very nostalgic smell for me is orange creamsicle bathroom detergent smell. Mm Mm-hmm. I was working at Mosaic. That was the place I worked before Maker. It was a comedy management company. I worked in the mailroom and my job was to like every morning post up the USA Today front page on the front of the men's urinal so that when executives walked into the bathroom, they could read the USA Today. That's the whitest thing I've ever heard anyone say. Piss soaked USA Today. (laughs) (laughs) But there was this very nostalgic smell of the detergent they use that sprayed out every like nine minutes. It smelled like an orange creamsicle donut. Mm. Wow. I would like to amend my answer and add the smell of garlic and butter cooking in a pan. There you go. If I could make my own like air freshener, that's the move. For organic, it's definitely onion cooking in olive oil in a pan. I love that. Artificial, it is the smell of the path train that goes between uh, Hoboken slash Newark and New York City. They use a very specific cleaner on it that I've never smelled anywhere else. And it is instantly, as soon as you get on, you're like, oh, there it is. There's that path stands for Port Authority Trans Hudson uh, because it goes across the Hudson River. So, yeah, the smell of the path train. Yeah. Is there something that smells good that you wish would stop reminding you of that one thing? 
For example, the smell of lavender perfume. I think smells really nice, but to this day, it reminds me of like my first kiss in high school. Like I really knocked that one out of the park, boys. Uh, Her name is Gabby. She's doing well. Yeah, I should hit up Gabby. I hope she's well. You realize you just said she's doing well. And then two seconds later said, I hope she's well. (laughs) Just to point this out. I take that back because I don't know how well Gabby's doing. I hope Gabby's well. I think the world of her. Anyways, she was my first kiss. I walked her to the door and then I didn't know what to say. So I said, is this the part where we kiss? Mm -hmm. And that worked. It usually does. Yeah. But now like the smell of like lavender perfume is like always associated with that moment specifically, and then just like fucking up the first girl you had a crush on. Mm. Mine is similar. I I had a relationship go disastrously wrong with a girl who used some kind of hand lotion, but it had like a strawberry scent. And so one of the big things that while we were dating was she was teaching summer school at a boarding school in New Hampshire, I think. And I would drive up on the weekends from Jersey to New Hampshire And I had to like sneak into her dorm because it was full of a bunch of high school kids. I never stayed overnight there, but I wasn't even supposed to be inside the dorm. And this relationship just imploded about a year later. But I always associate her with this very specific, I don't even know the brand or anything, but strawberry lotion scent. And I didn't even really like the scent that much, but it's just one of those things. You don't smell like artificial strawberry that often, but whenever I do, I'm like, oh, there it is. I'm back there. I have like two distinct ones. One is a general, like, you know, you go through phases as a person who wears perfume or products or whatever, where like, you know, you use one lotion for a while and then you use a different perfume. And it's like, oh, I'm going to try this one. Anyway, I have like the remnants of a lot of them. And when I smell them, I'm like, mm, smells like a different, simpler era of depression. Mm-hmm. Like it instantly <laughs> puts me back into like, ah, the halcyon days of being on 100 milligrams of Lexapro. You just smell something, you're like, Oh, it has gotten harder, hasn't it? Yeah, 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 absolutely. <laughs> so now I know that I'm currently ruining Yves Saint Laurent black opium, which smells super good. But at a certain point, I'm going to be like, early 20s depression. But my other one is warm, flat Coke. The drink, not the drug. The dr- Well, the drink, air quotes for those listening. <laughs> if you mix it in enough water. <laughs> yeah, I think we should put Coke back in Coca-Cola. Anyway, warm flat Coke because the first guy I ever dated like never brushed his teeth and like always sort of smelled like shit. Winner. His mouth tasted like warm flat Coke veering on the like kind of cold side. And it's like, how the fuck is your mouth cold? How is your mouth cold? <laughs> yeah, it was upsetting. And also like sometimes there was some goldfish flavor in there. Wow. That is a teenage taste if I've ever heard one. <sighs> Warm, flat Coke and goldfish. Yeah. All right, let's do a few more questions here. This is an NSP one. I just want to take this real quick because it's something that uh, is interesting to me. Hi, Robert. One of our Discord regulars, as I suppose many people here are. Here's the question. I've been hearing this forever, and I'm not sure if it's just me. At the end of 6969, which for those of you who don't know, is a song by the band Ninja Sex Party. It's available now, isn't it? It is available on Spotify and Deezer. At the end of 6969, the synth in the background is playing what sounds like a callback to Dinosaur Laser Fight to me. The it's fucking science part to be specific. Am I just hearing things or was that intended? So I believe that you may be the second person to catch this. This is totally intentional. And in fact, there are two synths going on in the background that are doing callbacks to Dinosaur Laser Fight. One is doing the it's fucking science part. And another is doing the first part, like the intro to the song which is also happening in the background. And those are happening at the same time 
at the end of 6969. So Robit, awesome work. Most people don't catch that. It's real buried in the mix, but I wanted to put that in there as a little callback to uh, NSP history. So you're totally right. I know it would be very on brand for me to fuck with people, but I'm not fucking with you. There's 100% what's going on there. So nice catch. When you write something like 6969, like, are you thinking about those motifs? Like, because like 6969, if I remember correctly, is a very long song. Oh, yeah, 100%. You're working the rock opera, late motifs into it, right? I'm sorry. Do you want to hear my answer or would you rather interrupt me? Well, now I just want to interrupt you. I don't want to hear his answer. I want to interrupt <laughs> me too. I'm sorry. That was that was too easy. Now I feel bad for saying that. I'm sorry, Vernon. <laughs> to answer your question, which is legitimately, and I'm not fucking with you, a great question. When I was writing 6969, I was thinking a lot about recurring motifs. And that whole piece is based on stuff that recurs in different forms throughout the song. A lot of it gets buried because it happens more in the instrumental track than in the vocal track. But yeah, a lot of that song is recurring motifs that are reinvented and sped up, key changes, et cetera, throughout. So that was absolutely something that was going on. Yeah. I think it adds to the music, but a lot of people wouldn't pick that up. So that is like, shows that you're really like hearing stuff that I think most people aren't hearing. Can you give us some other examples of motifs that you use in that song? There's... That occurs a lot throughout the song. So that happens in the in the beginning and then in the slower part, I'm not going to change the key, but it literally just happens slower. And then there's one, uh, how does this one go? That comes back and that happens a lot in the, and then there's like an electro dancey section where both of these come back and forth. That's fun. Vernon, now I feel like I might have made you feel bad with that dig. Are you okay? Oh, no. What? Yeah, I'm great. Like, do you think you're the only person who's mean to me? Oh, now now you're <laughs> making me feel bad, and I hate it. <laughs> Sorry, I feel like that was something, like, I picked up from my mom. <laughs> oh, what? <laughs> Let's use the guilt and, like, maybe, I don't know, stab the knife in a little further. Who knows? <laughs> It is a perennial thing I do. This happens more often when I'm drunk, as we discussed in a recent episode. I think I'm being very funny and sarcastic, and someone's like, that was actually hurtful. And then I feel like a complete monster, deservedly so. I feel like I've known you for a long enough time where that didn't even register. Okay, good. Thank you. This is an interesting podcast to be on because you're two close friends who have known professionally for a long time. I was just going to say, I view our relationship as more than professional, but you can see it however... I've known both of you guys in separate configurations and in separate ways for several years now. So I feel like I've seen multiple sides to all of my friends and I like all of those sides, right? You'd have to do a lot more to to put me in a bad mood. Which I never would because, and I'm going to say this publicly for the first time, Vernon, I love you. You're the best. Oh, I love you back, buddy. Are you kidding? Layton, could you log off really quickly? We, me and him, we got some stuff to talk about. I'm going to, I'll just. You're like legit the best. You are one of the people I've known here, honestly, the longest in LA now. You, Dan, and Brent, probably more than anybody. And I just think you're amazing. Oh, thank you, man. Can I come out from under the table? Yes, you can come back. For the longest time and choosing a creative career, I think I had been searching for like a group of people like the Game Grumps and like the surrounding friends of Game Grumps. I've been looking for 
people I could trust like that for several years before I found you guys. I've had partnerships not work out. I've had like creative fallings out with people. That's sort of par for the game, right? But I feel very happy to be surrounded by such creative and driven people who force me by virtue of wanting to seem cool enough in front of them to work even harder. Well, that's, I think, a testament to what really Aaron has built. And Leighton, you know, you've been a beneficiary of this. I've been a beneficiary of this. Aaron is one of the kindest, most generous people who built a, probably if I use this word, it's going to sound, I don't know, either trite or dismissive. And I mean it to be neither like a clubhouse where really fun, cool, driven people can hang out and make awesome shit. I would say commune, cults. Yeah, no, exactly. If it's a cult, I would like to move up the ranks. I keep pitching Game Grumps tracksuits specifically just for the people who work in the office. Yeah, we talk about the compound a lot of, you know, let's match, let's all get the same shoes. Let's get some really cool shoes and then we'll buy a back stock and then we'll get somebody to put them all on eBay after X amount of time and then the, the price will go way up because they'll stop making that shoe. So let's pick what kind of shoe that we want to ruin eventually. <laughs> I'm not making a roundabout Heaven's Gate joke or anything. <laughs> <laughs> but Lane, like I feel like one of the most shocking things about Dream Daddy was just how little creative oversight there was. It was literally, it was us bringing the idea to Brent and Aaron and them saying like, okay, go do it. They sort of gave us free reigns to either like succeed or fail, but I've never had a partnership like that or like a working environment like that where the people who are sort of holding the purse strings were just like, yeah, just go make what you want to make. We trust you. Yeah. yeah. Another example of that is that when they hired me to run their social media. <sighs> you weren't fired immediately? Yes, frankly. For actively attempting to make them hemorrhage as followers. Uh-huh. Yes. I mean, literally every time I would do something that would alienate people, which is to say several times a day, Aaron would be like, awesome. I think that's really funny. And as we've discussed in the past, when Susie taught me about grid posting and we started losing thousands upon thousands of followers, that was the only time that Aaron was like, maybe dial that back a little bit. <laughs> Since people are getting legitimately mad, you know, my favorite thing was the grid post. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, out of order. So it was really hashtag unsatisfying. Yes, yeah. post them out of order on purpose or put it in, you know, like some random colored square or whatever. Oh, it was my favorite thing. And it definitely caused people to unfollow us. And I was very proud of that. But Aaron, to his immense credit, was just like, you do you. Like, we hired you to be weird and annoy people. And that's what you're good at. It's really one of your strengths, Brian, just being extremely annoying. Thank you. Let's do a couple more questions. I've got one. This is from Bo Boston. Thank you. What is a baby name that you know is terrible, but you would absolutely name your kid given the opportunity? Lavia. <laughs> that's yours. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> I've just always thought it would be like, you know, if it didn't have the association, I'd be like, ah, Lavia. <laughs> yeah. Let's see. That I know is terrible. This is such a hard one because I wouldn't actually name my kid a terrible name. We, we went through a lot. That, that is a really, really good one. Probably Aubrey. You think that's a bad one? No, I don't. I'm just trying to do a bit and it didn't work. <laughs> <sighs> I don't have a good answer. I, I kind of got tossed out into the wild being named Vernon. That's a solid name. I think about this often. There's not a lot of good media representation for Vernons. Historically, in fiction, 
Vernons have either been like the chubby kid that no one likes in the story or the mean old uncle or the mean old grandpa, you know, like Vernon Dursley from Harry Potter. Everybody hated that guy. Yes. Okay. Vernon from Stand By Me. That guy was rough to be around. Which one was he? He was the big kid who vomited everywhere. Ah, yes, of course. There's not a lot of good Vernons, which is one good for search engine optimization. It's me versus the former, now deceased president of the Dominican Republic, Vernon Lordenshaw. Hmm. I don't know if I've ever beaten him. We challenge him to a duel. Reanimate his corpse. I'm assuming he's dead. Is there a famous Leighton that you feel up against, Leighton? Leighton Meester, but I know, but she's chill because I've met her and (laughs) she's nice. And that's the only reason that anybody knows how to say my name. I feel like Leighton is a reasonably popular name these days, right? Is it? Isn't it? Growing up, I did not encounter many Leightons and I've heard every variation of... Leeton, Lee, Legton, hmm. Lawton, all of them. Did I ever tell you I was named after my mom? No, I didn't know that. Oh, she'll never admit it. Okay, so my dad's name is Tim. Older brother's name, Tim. Not a junior. His name is just Tim. My mom's name is Veronica. My name's Vernon. That's not a coincidence. <laughs> and every time I asked her about it, she's just like, oh, we just liked the name. Like, we thought it was a nice name. Uh-huh. Sure. Like, I would just spend a lot less money on therapy if she would just be like, yeah, man, that's kind of fucked up, right? That I'll never admit it. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I've been reticent to have you on the show, Vernon, mostly for the same reason that we had to cut out an hour of the last episode with Allie, where it's like we would not shut the fuck up and Brian would not get a word in edgewise. So this has been a real uh, twist of the old. Real how do you do? Uh, Yeah, real how do you do? Because we also did spend like two hours on a call today already. So like, I have nothing to say to you. Uh, Remember that one time we walked our dogs yesterday? Oh, shit. I got a dog now. Sorry. Show dog. All right. Well, I'm going to answer another question here. This is Matt is asking how the smooth jazz album is going. It's going great. Uh, I am now I'm writing like one track a week for it. I, I kind of put it off for a while because I was not feeling inspired to write due to world events and Meowch is producing and it's really, really fun. So that is going to come out this year for sure. When? I don't fucking know, but at some point. This is red. What the fuck? <laughs> it's my girl. Oh, maybe. It's the two of them. Guess what, folks? Maybe hates Red. (laughs) (laughs) Red is 10 months old, and she's going through an asshole phase right now. And truthfully, she's been going through an asshole phase since I've gotten her. But we're working on it. I adopted her when she was eight weeks old. She's a little Shiba Inu. And what's Red's full name? Red's full name is McCready, so I named her after the main character in John Carpenter's 1982 seminal classic, The Thing. Yes, obviously. People who are listening, this is an audio medium. Just imagine two cute dogs. Very cute dogs. I'll show you something that I have behind me. This is something from my childhood. It is a vintage Pac-Man bank, off-market, not official, from the 80s. You put a quarter in here. Wow. And Pac-Man eats a quarter. I've had this since I was six, and it has followed me around the world, and I love it. And Audrey broke part of it. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, that's Childs. It's interesting that you also have a thing that eats things you find valuable. Yeah, it's called my daughter. Yeah, we were on call earlier today, and then I just hear Vernon go, what the fuck? And then he moves his camera and shows that while he was looking away from Red, she had just like tore up all of the toilet paper roll. Oh, dogs. Dogs are hard. When I adopted Michael, my cat, it sucked for maybe two weeks, and then we were just like roommates, and we've been roommates for like the last eight years. And now I have to keep my door closed. Um, so I can separate the two so Red doesn't slide tackle Michael. I think we should move on. I feel like we need to move on to some bits. So Vernon, can you please get those three 
brown paper bags I gave you. Certainly. Brian, will you play us some music for this interstitial? I have before me, delivered by you, three paper bags, each labeled with their own number. One, two, and three. I have not opened these bags. I have not looked at them. Excellent. So everybody, we are going to play, for the first time ever on the Late Night Podcast, one of my favorite games, a game show that I invented called Is It Mayo? Is it, is it? The way Is It Mayo works. And Vernon, I believe you've played this game before, have you not? A couple times. Lost each and every one. You don't win Is It Mayo. You never win Is It Mayo. The point is not to win. It is to engage in an exploration of oneself. The way it works with Is It Mayo, it's a very simple game. You taste each sample that I give you. So there are foodstuffs in each bag. And you have to answer a very, very simple yes or no question. And that question is, is it mayo? Will I ever in my life be able to escape from the spit? No. No. Is there a version of myself that is 50 years old? I sit down and I look out across the vast acreage of land that I own and I sigh and I say to myself, at least I don't have to wonder if it's mayo anymore. Dude, Brian and I are going to show up at your fucking funeral and I'm going to be in a mourning gown and I'm going to be like, oh, he died under mysterious circumstances. How tragic. And I was across the country. How could I have possibly been implicated in this mysterious death? It's a total coincidence. We have co-decided, me and Lane, that the only way either one of us are going to die is if one of us kills the other. Yeah. Anyway, I was going to say that I'm going to come up to your coffin and squeeze mayo into it if Brian is also dead, which I'm assuming by this point I've had a long string of mysterious circumstances circumstances for you know. <laughs> I will actually commit. I will stop doing this bit, Vernon, when the amount of mayo you've consumed is equal to the number of hot peppers you force people to eat. And then I will stop doing the bit. Oh, okay. This is some Dante's Inferno shit. Back in the day, I ran a YouTube channel where people tried to review video games directly after eating hot peppers. And it's how I know most people in the industry now. Brian, I fed you a hot pepper once. No, I don't think you did. You fed Ninja Brian a hot pepper, I believe. I was not involved in that at all. Oh, I apologize. Before you open that up, here's the question. Ideally, in a normal Is It Mayo game, you would be blindfolded. I don't quite know how to work that. He's wearing a bandana on his head. Okay, great. Blindfold yourself. All right. So reach into that bag and you should find two things. And you drop the spoon. I found at least tactilely a mayo-like substance. You don't know what it is. You can either use the spoon or just squeeze that bad boy into your mouth. I'll let you choose. I'm going to use a spoon as a classy gentleman. Coward. Great. So this is bag one, everybody. Bag one. Is that to your liking? Should I get more? You can get a little more. You can get more. There's not much on there. I can't smell it yet, which is... No, you will. All right. Are we good? Hold it up to the camera. Yeah, that sounds good. All right. Taste it. Right in there. That was 100% mayo. <laughs> Wait until I ask you the question. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Vernon Shaw with bag one. Is it mayo? Yes. You're correct. Bag one was mayo. Yes. All right. All right. Awesome. All right. Bag two. Moving on. Okay. Is this bag two? Nope. That's bag one. Is this bag two? Why don't you take the blindfold off? That's bag three. Oh my God, I almost set that bag on fire. I had a candle. 
<laughs> this would be the second time you've almost burned down your apartment in the past six months. All right. In this bag, you will find a plastic bag and a spoon. All right. So same process. Now, wait this time, wait until I ask you the question. Yes. Okay. I will show everyone the bag first. Uh, this is the bag. There's the bag. Bag number two. Yep. All right. God, it would have been so funny if suddenly you were on fire. <laughs> I don't mean that, but hereditary. No, but I'm prepared. I have right now two different fire extinguishers in two places in my one bedroom apartment and a third one downstairs in my garage. Okay. We're wasting time. Eat what's in the bag. Own a fire extinguisher, guys. And don't store the fire extinguisher where a fire could potentially happen because I had to put out a fire with an on-fire fire extinguisher. <laughs> no safety announcements. Eat what's in the bag. Okay, here we go. All right. Oh, that's a good one. All right, now Vernon Shaw, bag two. <laughs> is it mayo? Yes, it is mayo. That is mayo. You are correct. Yes, absolutely. That was mayo. All right. I'm having a great time with this bit, boys. I can't get enough of this bit that's happening right now. Here we go. Bag three. Last bag. Last but not least, as they say. Here we go. All right. Show everybody the bag. Now, I promise you, I promise you in advance, I promise you this one is different. It's not the same substance as the other two. That's a Brian Weck promise. All right. You ready? All right. There you go. Eat it. Now, I promise this is different. Hmm. Vernon Shaw. Hmm. Is it mayo? Yeah, that's absolutely mayo. That was 100% mayo. <laughs> that is exactly the same as the other two bags. That is mayo. Yes, you are correct. Well, guys, I ate a bunch of mayo raw and then almost set my apartment on fire. So, and that's, is it mayo? Is it mayo? I hate this bit. It's my favorite. Every single time I hate this bit. Oh, it's, it's my favorite thing. Not even once you wouldn't make it like one bag miracle whip. See, this is my same note with the what's poppin' bit. Your antagonism is on repeat. You know, you have your joke, joke, joke. There's no inversion of the joke other than... <laughs> but why would you think I was trying to be mean to Vernon when I just asked him to eat the most delicious substance known to humankind? He just gave me three free mayo. I used to have zero mayo. Now I have three mayo. That's right. You are happier and better neutrifacted than you were before. I'm fitter, happier, more productive. That's exactly right. That is, of course, the only real brand of mayo, which is Best Foods, or as I called it growing up, its proper name, Hellman's. But can I just say right now, and this is something I feel passionately about, the Whole Foods uh, label brand mayo is hot garbage and should never be consumed by anybody. It is just awful. But Best Foods, that's the real shit. Layton, do you have anything to add on top of um, that? Go fuck yourself. <laughs> Well, you know what? Let's answer a few questions real quick from the chat. Oh, Brian, how do you feel about QP Mayo? I like it. It's solid. Am I still keeping up with David Lynch's daily YouTube uploads? Not as much as I should because they give me serotonin, but I don't choose to do things that give me serotonin anymore. I simply wish to suffer. Oh, someone in the chat just said, let's playo. Is it Mayo? And I love that. <laughs> Tony? Tony. God damn it. Yes, please. That makes me very happy. All right, fuck it. We're doing what's popping is what's happening now. Okay, so Vernon, I know you said you have listened to the show before, correct? Yeah, but I have no idea what, what what's popping is. I am 60 seconds from your fucking apartment. 45 if I hustle. You watch yourself. Brian, what's what's popping? Well, thank you for asking. So Vernon, here's what's popping. What's popping is our pop culture recommendation 
segment that we do every week on the pod. Some people call podcasts pods like me when you're a professional podcaster. That's the lingo you use. And the thing about what's popping is, sure, we give our, our pop culture recommendations. Of course, of course we do that. That's the point of the bit. But the real uh, interesting thing about what's popping is not the content of people's recommendations, but the theme song to to what's popping. As you said before, you are... I'm a huge avid listener of the fan, but I'm not sure what this bit is. Well, there's no bit. Why would you even call this a bit? That's literally... Is there a bit? No, you use the word... I'm so sorry. Tell me about the theme song, though. Well, why would you use that word, first of all? I don't know, man. Like, it's just sort of entered our regular lexicon. I think I say bit to just describe. <laughs> there it goes, Leighton. Yeah, that's fine. We don't need her. <laughs> No, but let's explore this. Why, why would you use the word bit here when I'm trying to tell you something? I find it very demeaning. I don't know, dude. I think I've listened to almost every episode of the Late Night Podcast, and I've heard this bit several times, and I just wanted to play along to be nice. Now you know the truth. I wanted to play along because what you're about to do is you're about to play me something, and then there's going to be nothing, and then there'll be a long amount of silence, and then you'll ask me to react to it. But what happens with the magic of editing is this Jarek gentleman, he'll take everything and put it together so that there is a theme song under that part that I didn't hear. And then eventually you're going to ask me what I thought of it. And because I didn't hear it, I'll have to vamp. Now, would you like to go on with your bit? Layton, I see your ax. <laughs> I'm sorry, Vern, I couldn't hear anything you were saying for the last uh, two minutes or so. I was checking my phone. But anyway, the, the point the point of this uh this bit is that there's a really incredible theme song for it, which I wrote. You've said you're a fan of, of my music, and I can only assume that because you like Ninja Sex Party, Starbomb, possibly Go Banana Go, if you've heard that, uh, you'll feel similarly about this bit, which is better than all that other stuff combined, put together. You take the best part of any Ninja Sex Party song, the, the best part of any Starbomb song, the worst part mm -hmm. of any Go Banana Go song, because it's all great, so even the worst part is still pretty incredible. So you put all those together, you mix them up into a blender, and you add just a little little sprinkling of genius over the top of it, and you get the theme song for what's popping. So that's what I wrote. We've never played this live for people. This is the first time this introduction has ever happened on a live stream, and I'm very, very excited for people to hear this theme song live. So Vernon, are you ready for the what's popping theme song? I should say, don't answer yet, because I should say that I want you to react honestly. You want fresh ears, right? I want fresh ears. I just want your unvarnished opinion. I know you're going to love it. You're obviously going to love it. Get back in frame. For the love of fucking God, get back in frame. Uh, I'm sure you're going to love it, but uh, I, I just want your unvarnished opinion when, when, when I play it for you. Are you ready? Yes. I need verbal consent. Are you ready? Yes, I am ready. Okay, repeat after me. Yes? Yes. I, Vernon Shaw. I, Vernon Shaw. I'm ready. I'm ready. To hear the theme. To hear the theme. Song. Song. To what's to what's popping popping all right here we go here's the theme song hey what's up <coughs> no not much no i'm just doing something stupid yeah i can talk uh-huh well send me some samples no oh okay all right, bye. All right, that was the theme song. What'd you think? It was really interesting what you did with that with the the back half. Was that the Lydian scale? Yes, it was. In fact, 
Interesting. And personally, I would have gone Dorian in a situation like that, but uh, mm-hmm. Lydian will work. Uh, I find Dorian too gray. <laughs> pedantic. That was not pedantic because I didn't explain what I was talking about. <laughs> For the podcast listeners at home, this entire time, <laughs> Leighton has just been holding an axe, which she owns, as if she were an Animal Crossing villager. <laughs> <laughs> With the exact same murderous intent in the eyes that you see in a villager. Do you ever just look into a rabbit animal's eyes? (laughs) (laughs) You know, this is my talking axe. I just like to hold it sometimes. All that's to say, Brian, it's like, it's good work, but is it your best work? Yes. Interesting that you would say that. I liked it. Thank you. I appreciate that. Do other people like it? Everyone loves it. Everyone loves the introduction. They love the theme song. I've never met any single person in my life who doesn't love everything about the introduction and theme song to What's Poppin'. Well, count me among them. I found it very, very soothing. What's Poppin'? What's Poppin'? Since you're a veteran of the podcast and that you listen to it, Vernon, what's Poppin'? I finally watched Night of the Hunter. Oh, the Robert Mitchum classic. Have you seen that? Yeah, of course. The movie that everyone hated so much when it came out that the guy never directed another movie again. Uh It's a phenomenal movie, but I was watching the movie. I was like, all right, I get it. Like, this is kind of out there. But Night of the Hunter is, if you've seen Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing, in that movie, there's this guy named Radio Rahim, and he has these rings on his hands. One says love, one says hate. Um, and he has this like really, really like interesting and evocative monologue where he talks about the relationship between love and hate with his fingers. That was taken word for word from Night of the Hunter, where Robert Mitchum has love and hate tattooed across his knuckles and then gives this speech. So like there's a lot of cool shit that happens. And it's about a serial killer preacher who's trying to kill two kids for their money. <laughs> they showed that to us in summer camp. What? <laughs> And I'm not kidding. They'd have movie nights, you know, when I was like 11 or something. Uh, It was a sleepaway camp up in the Adirondacks. And sometimes they show us classic movies and they straight up showed us Night of the Hunter. And it was horrible. This is what's in store for you children. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much, right? So you better keep in line, motherfuckers. (laughs) The classic, they showed us that and bringing up Baby, which was, I don't think I appreciated as a child, but is a very funny movie. They're showing you fine Kino cinema. I feel like bringing a baby is a little more edible than Night of the Hunter. <laughs> Did you say edible or edible? <laughs> like, oh, we, you know, like fuck your mom, edible. Yeah. I, I said edible. <laughs> it's nice because bringing up baby doesn't feature child murder as a significant plot point. So that probably is a lot in its favor. Would any of you other um, gamers happen to have a pop? You know how this format works. Yeah, fucking do it, dude coward that was it i watched Do you have any specific questions to ask either me or layton oh i'm sorry hey brian what's popping oh wow thank you vernon i thought you would never ever ask me what's popping for me a lot of people have been talking about this over the last few months and i just started watching it it is the television series ted lasso (laughs) which is on apple it is so great it is so much fun Uh, It's Jason Sudeikis as an American football coach who moves to London to coach a uh, football or as they call it, soccer team. And I don't know what I was expecting. I saw a lot of people say it's awesome. And it is just like 
relentlessly fun and positive. I have not laughed so hard or smiled so big at a TV show in a very long time. I loved it. My only relationship with that show is that one tweet I saw that showed a picture of Ted Lasso is like, wait, wait, people watch this? (laughs) Which is fair because it's on like Apple Plus or whatever. I don't even know. We're in this huge bubble of content right now where like there's so much content and it's so impossible to consume all of it. And I don't think it's ever been harder to consume content than it has been right now with just like how many ways you can consume it. Rachel wanted to watch this new Alan Tudyk show, Resident Alien, which is on Mm sci-fi. And we had to like figure out where to fucking see this thing. We couldn't even buy it on iTunes or Amazon, like none of the usual places. It was like a, a stretch to try to find it. But yeah, like I'd seen a few people talk about it as amazing. And we finally finished season two of The Boys, which was... Oh, hey. Yeah, which was great. That I accidentally spoiled. <laughs> you did. And I had to pretend I didn't know what happened when Rachel asked me stuff, but that was fine. It was fine. It's still a fucking stupid reveal. <laughs> yeah. And it wasn't even as much of a reveal as I was expecting, given that you said you spoiled it, which wasn't really a spoiler. Satisfying stuff happens in the back half of the season. It's enjoyable. Indeed. So it shows up because we have the Apple TV. Uh, It shows up every time you turn that fucking thing on. I was like, you know what? I've heard enough people talk about this. Let's watch it. And immediately I was just like, this is awesome. It's just fun and good vibes throughout. It is absolutely one of those shows like, uh, what's the other, Bosch, where I'm like, who the fuck watches Bosch? Yeah, right. Titus Welliver is great, but like who, who watches Bosch? I thought it was one of those shows. You got to see it. It's so fun. And Jason Sudeikis rules in it. There's also Hannah, what is, what's her name? Uh, Waddingham, I think, uh, plays like the owner of the team. She's this very like tall, statuesque, blonde lady. She has very severe features and she is amazing in it. She's a, a theater performer, a British theater performer, and she just crushes it. Everyone is great, especially Sudeikis. I cannot recommend it highly enough. Tight. Layton, what's popping? Piggybacking off of the Jason Sudeikis thing, this isn't my what's poppin'. It's a what's pop. I think I mentioned it on the show before, but uh, the series Seven Minutes in Heaven, hosted by Mike O'Brien of SNL. Yeah. One of the just best things in the world, if you look up the one with Jason Sudeikis, they do a segment where they're like, okay, read this as an angry Southern coach. Um, (laughs) And it's like, oh, I'm glad to see that we turned this into a show. Anyway, my what's poppin' is a two-part interview that I forced Vernon to watch this morning with the lovely Eartha Kitt. And now I can't find my fucking phone um, to remember what the thing is. But if you search Eartha Kitt emotional interview, I forget the name of the host, but it's like she performs I Want to Be Evil in part one. one. And then part two is like a fucking incredible, emotional, vulnerable interview about like her experiences with child abuse that is just like so moving and you know her talking about like the facade of Eartha Kitt versus Eartha May and still feeling like that little urchin and like taking care of that like it's genuinely very beautiful so I highly recommend that and also any interview with her like every single one is a banger she is so eloquent and funny and just like fuck yeah Eartha Kitt so that's what's popping for me I'm just so smitten by like charismatic frontmen like charismatic lead singers just like always really really get to me i like the keyboardists that have to play behind them a lot and usually (laughs) don't get any recognition or acknowledgement the fan favorite keyboardists if you look hard enough yeah the fan favorite keyboardist the guy kind of that does all the work and hangs out in the background a little bit but nobody notices them because they're dressed entirely in black (laughs) interesting that's just my personal preference time for our final segment It's called Peaches and Lemons. It's a gratitude exercise. We each do a lemon, which is a petty grievance. And then we do three peaches, which are a thing that is good. 
I hope you can see people watching that this is the exact affect I have every time I introduce fucking peaches and lemons. (laughs) This is peaches and lemons. Theme song goes here. Well, Layton, what's your peach and lemons? Peaches and lemon. Singular lemon, three peaches. Wow. We're each going to go around and we're each going to share one lemon. You know how the show fucking works. <laughs> I'll go first with my lemon because it is appropriate given what we talked about before. Actually, something that happened on the show. So as happens frequently in my household, we were running low on what? Mayo. We were running out of mayo. We usually go through about a jar a day. You sick fuck. And we were running low and Rachel ordered some. And it got here, and it was Miracle Whip. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> and I want to be very, very clear about this. Miracle Whip is not mayo. Miracle Whip is an abomination. Wait, what is Miracle Whip then? Nobody knows. It's literally impossible to figure out. Here's what it is. Take something that looks just like mayo, <laughs> but make it horrible. That's what Miracle Whip is. Call it like a tangy combination of bullshit and other bullshit. I don't even know what's in it. I don't want to know what's in it. I really, really hate it. I appreciate there's a bunch of idiots out there that love it. Those people are wrong. We now have two full jars of Miracle Whip in our kitchen, and we're running low on mayo, again, as we frequently are. And I don't know what to do with it because we can't, I can't eat it. I don't even like it in my house. It has bad energy. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely bad energy. It's bad vibes from the start. It's not a miracle. It's the opposite of a miracle. I was tempted, Vernon, for that is it mayo to give you some miracle whip, but I would not wish that on my worst enemy. Wait, did he freeze? Is Vernon frozen? Yes. Oh no, we lost Vernon a little bit. He was upset by the Miracle Whip chat. I will say, Brian, while we're waiting for Vernon to come back, I have a proposal for a new bit for this show that I'm going to do that's my original bit called Is It Mayo? But the thing is, it's never mayo. It's never going to be mayo. Uh And uh, you will be the recipient and plot twist. It's Miracle Whip. (laughs) (laughs) It would only serve me right for everything I put you through. See, my permutation would be that maybe sometimes there's, you know, we do the round of three. One of them's Cool Whip. One of them's Miracle Whip. One of them is not Maya. Mm-hmm. We're waiting for Vernon Shaw to reconnect still. Honestly, I can't believe we got this far without someone dropping off. I'm shocked it isn't you. You've been about two DPI this entire time. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Huh. Big time. My new sweet gamer cam, too. Wait, wait. I think we here he is. Let's try this again. Hey. Oh, okay, cool. Hey, I'm back. Hi. Wow. Sorry, my internet completely fell off. No worries. So that was my lemon, is that we have Miracle Whip. Layton, what's your lemon? My lemon is motherfucking acid reflux. Hmm. Am I right, folks? Um, last night, I was up very late because I got acid reflux and God hates me. And then I stress vomited and then I still had acid reflux and I ate like a dozen Tums and I still had acid reflux. Oh. First of all, esophagus, eat shit. That's the place it would go if you ate it. Exactly. Just miserable feeling like the entire contents of your stomach are crawling up your throat actively. I was in bed vertical because you can't lie down or it gets worse. Exhausted eating a roll of crackers like, and then feeling it like just fucking scrape. Terrible. Anyway, so that's my lemon. Vernon, you have a really fun lemon today. Ooh. Oh, yeah. I walked outside today and I found out that someone had crashed into my car that was parked outside. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. Well, I got a text from my neighbor. And I was like, 
Hey, did you hear anything that happened? Because there's a huge dent on the side of your car now. Oh, dude. I live right next to a freeway on-ramp, and that's the only clue I'll give. <laughs> Find my house if you can. DM me and I'll send you his address. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I live close to a freeway on-ramp, and it's been raining in Los Angeles for the past couple of days. So, I don't know, deductive reasoning. I think someone just had a little trouble on the approach. From the photo that you sent me, the direction of the car, wouldn't it make sense that they had come from certain direction? Yeah. And not... Other direction. No, you would think that, but I did a physical analysis of the debris on the ground, and I noticed that much more of the debris was at the front of my car, so that leads me to believe that, oh, this is a double whammy. I forgot to move my car for street cleaning day here in Los Angeles. Oh, and you got a ticket? Oh, motherfucker. No, I didn't, and I think that's because... Specifically, the person who was going to give me a ticket sideswiped me. <laughs> Aw, that was sweet. I haven't called my insurance company yet. I need to do that like after this call. Not super stoked about it, lemon-wise. It's funny because I think one of the first times you were ever in my car... <laughs> yeah, I remember this. I have a lot of anxiety about having people in my car. Like, I'm afraid of cars. I'm afraid of driving. The intrusive thought is I'm going to get into an accident, kill every friend in this car, and then I will survive, and then I have to live with this guilt for the rest of my life. That's always the fear. This is more latent lore, but also, like, I've talked to you several times where you sent me uh, snippets from like trauma survivor forums where people talk about how they're the only person who survived in a car crash. <laughs> uh, I, don't, uh... I wonder, Layton. I just wonder, do you feed the beast? <laughs> uh, I look at gore forums for normal reasons, Vernon. <laughs> One of the first times Vernon ever got in my car, we were leaving the old Game Grumps office and I was very nervous <laughs> and I was going to pull out onto the boulevard and I was like, oh, I got to do a K-turn because I'm going in the wrong direction. And I immediately rear-ended a parked car really hard. Oh, no. <laughs> to throw on top of that, I feel very complicit in that because I was like, let me show you a shortcut to get back to our neighborhood. Go this way instead. So then you started backing up. Wow. Yeah, a big old fucking dent in the car, and I'm glad that there was another person there to hold me accountable. I left a note. The guy called me. I paid for the fix in full. It was not cheap, but, like, leave a fucking note if you're going to do that shit. Like, come on. Oh, yeah, they didn't leave a note for me there. Yeah, exactly. Even if you just do the shit thing and say, sorry, and don't leave any contact information, like, fucking come on. Really, really quick story, but when I lived in Hollywood, I was like pulling forward into a space and I tapped the guy's bumper and I was like, hey man, like I left a note because I felt bad. You could see the screwdriver marks in his bumper, which was like, a, it was a BMW. So I was like, yeah, sorry. And then um, the guy hit me up uh, and ended up having to pay for it. And he was like a super nice guy. And I was like, all right, yeah, like this is, this is my fault. And it ended up being like uh, $300. And I was very poor at the time. So like, like that fucking hurt to lose $300. But it was the right thing to do. It was definitely the right thing to do. Yeah. And then a couple of weeks later, I'm walking around my neighborhood in Hollywood and I see the guy's car and I go to the bumper to see if he got it fixed. And he didn't. Motherfucker just pocketed $300 off of me. That is a Curb Your Enthusiasm plot in an episode I just watched. And I'm <laughs> not even kidding. That exact thing. In Hollywood, that is how the Joker becomes the Joker. <laughs> that drove me insane. That was, and I'm not even kidding, that exact thing. <laughs> uh, it, Larry takes out a guy's taillight, writes a note. The guy calls him, pays him whatever, a thousand bucks or whatever, and then sees the car like a couple weeks later and he has not fixed the taillight. I just watched that episode too.
my car accident story. So I got in an accident, which was my fault about, I don't know, a year and a half ago. I got in an accident, whatever. My insurance company talks to his insurance company and his insurance company rules that it was 70% my fault and 30% his. So I get this message from them and then they call me back like an hour later and they're like, actually, we fucked up. It's 100% your fault. (laughs) (laughs) And so I'm like, well, what changed? And they walked me through this thing and I was like, well, this seems like a big error. I was like, did I do something wrong? Is there anything I could have done to prevent this error? And the woman on the other insurance company, which I will name, it was State Farm. The woman on the other end of the line goes, I don't know, be a better driver. (laughs) And I was like, what the fuck? It was so unprofessional. And I do not get in a lot of, I haven't been in a car accident in, I don't know, 15 years or something. And I was just like, fuck you. It was was really awful. You listened, first of all. Yeah. Oh. And you learned. All right, let's move on to some peaches. Who would like to give their peaches first? Every week, I have to write them down. Otherwise, I will straight up forget them. Anyway, I wrote them down, but also in my notes app, it just says, Cask of Amontillado, am I the asshole? <laughs> I'm like, how do you title that post? I, 25 male, insulted a friend. That's very funny. He offered me some wine. Um, anyway. <laughs> I like that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Vernon, do you want to go while Leighton is coughing? Yeah, sure. Okay, so... Uh... No, fuck off. Sorry, denied. My first peach is um, I started seeing a new therapist in December after not having seen a therapist for a year and my previous therapist being pretty shitty. And he rules. He's really great. Cool. Uh, I went from doing talk therapy CBT to doing like, he does psychoanalysis, which makes me hyper aware of every single thing I do and say because I will like instinctively apologize and he'd be like, interesting that you just apologize. <laughs> Um, and I'm like, okay, doctor, but he's great. And I feel like a lot of mental progress, even in just doing like two months of it. So awesome. Woo therapy. My second one is actually an Audrey related peach. Okay. I was like, you know what? I don't get to send enough pictures of my dog to people. And so I was like, I'm going to text Brian a picture of maybe and force him to ask Audrey what maybe is thinking. And so I text a picture with an inscrutable facial expression. And then all, I was sort of expecting like a verbose Audrey response. And then all I get back from Brian is quote unquote, I'm mad. Yep. That was it. That's all she said. You're fucking spot on. Yeah. She is mad. But that really, it did the heart good. Good. Uh, And then my last one, which was one that I was just really excited about and trying to not be excited on Maine about, I received an email the other week from the last podcast network and they were like, hey, do you want to come be on a show with Henry Zabrowski? And I was like, and then had to like take all of the exclamation marks out of the email. And then I was pinballing off the walls for a week. Anyway, I recorded with them on Wednesday, whenever it was, Tuesday, Wednesday. I don't remember. The episode's up. I got to hang out with Henry and Jackie. Yeah, the episode's up now, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It came out the next day. Wow. Um, but yeah, I got to hang out with Henry and Jackie. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was lovely. I had a good time. It's so nice to find other like people with like similar brain rot. Yeah, exact same brain worms. And I didn't know until you texted me that I had done sketch shows with Henry way back in the day in New York. Yeah. Would you care to elaborate on that? Because Henry, during the episode, asked me if I would ask you if you remembered him by specifying, just re- recall a naked fat man. <laughs> so what I remembered was Henry was in this group called Murder Fist, which was when Danny and I first started NSP. We were active in the New York sketch scene at the same time. And we did a few, I think two or three shows with them. And they were notorious because they like went for it 
and they would do shit that involved intense cleanup. And people I remember were scared to perform after them because you never knew what the stage was going to be like after they finished up. <laughs> Not to say they wouldn't clean it up. They would always clean it up. But, you know, sometimes they'd be dumping like water all over the stage or whatever. But I remember them being very, very funny. I have to say, I don't remember any specific thing or people from them. So I don't remember Henry specifically from that. But I do remember Murder Fist because they were wild. They were just nuts. And I really loved what they did. I mean, pushing a lot of boundaries <laughs> and doing stuff that was was pretty gutsy on stage. Fuck yeah. Anyway, folks, listen to the LPN show. It was really fun. I fucking love all the last pod podcasts and last podcasts on the left and blah, blah, blah. Vern and I have a whole Henry story from Comic-Con, but, you know, time, time. Cool. Vernon, what are your peaches? First peach is I bought and I'm now learning to play the guitar. This has been 32 years in the making. I was so obsessed with trying to learn the guitar when I was like in middle school and a freshman in high school and it never stuck. And the farthest I got was playing like uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit by Nirvana. And then I learned how to play ska at a very young age and my parents hated that. As any sane parents would. Like playing the same like fucking high pitch chord on the upbeat over and over again. Oh, dude, to really do that, that's really hard to keep that up on the upbeat and bump, 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 bump. It's something like my parents hated it. You know, I've been spending most of quarantine just like noodling around with different instruments to try to learn them. And it's like a big moment in my life that I want to be able to afford a guitar. One that I was able to get into that like it's already making so much more sense to me than it did when I was in middle school. I did the classic thing where you, all right, this is a power chord. This is Smells Like Teen Spirit. Go for it. And I didn't know why they were called power chords or what I was even doing with the shape or why it made a sound that was enjoyable. So that's rad. My second peach is that I quit smoking. Oh, wow. Nice. This is attempt number, I think, four or five. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so it doesn't historically go well, but I'm very determined this time to actually quit smoking. Actually, uh, for those eagle-eyed podcast viewers not realizing it, took a little puff on the old sin jewel to... I'm five days in. Everything fucking sounds like nails on a chalkboard right now. Just everything is the most irritating thing in the world. And I'm so fucking mad all the time. <laughs> and yet you chose to be on this podcast. So thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, what's the thing that's going to stress me out the most? Oh, just getting it from both angles from, yeah. from Brian and Leighton. Yeah, go online for the first time <laughs> and show your face, coward. <laughs> the third peach is actually I'm weaning off SSRIs right now. Oh, wow. Yeah, like after Dream Daddy, I, I think I very obviously had a hard time with a lot of things. I got on Paxil and then I went from Paxil to Zoloft and Zoloft to Lexapro. And then I ended up with like Prozac with an adjunct of Bupropion or Wellbutrin. So I was on it for four years and I've been doing therapy weekly to sort of like hopefully be okay with it. So the goal right now is to see if I can survive and exist without needing SSRIs. I'm trying to see if I can walk on the sprained ankle, you know? Mm -hmm. And doing quitting smoking and SSRIs at the same time is... I quit SSRIs two months ago. Like what I didn't realize when I decided to quit smoking was that like Prozac has a very long half-life. So whereas like if you quit Paxil cold turkey, you'll start feeling really fucking horrible after two days. But for Prozac, you can just quit it because its half-life is like five days and then five half-lifes where it's out of your system is like what, 25 days. So like you start really feeling it after about a month. So I got off of the SSRIs and I was like, man, I'm feeling all right. Like that, that wasn't as bad as I thought it would be like. And then I was like, let's quit smoking too. Come on, let's just fucking go, boys. 
And then, you know, I started getting like brain zaps and everything is fucking just screaming right now. But it's all in servitude of trying to like get better. Good. Fuck brain zaps. All my homies hate brain zaps. (laughs) Have you ever had brain zaps prior to now? No. I don't know what a brain zap is. What is a brain zap? When you're coming off SSRIs or if you stop them cold turkey, when I got them, it was because I just totally stopped taking Lexapro. Folks, don't do that. But it's basically like you get a jolt in your brain. Have you ever read the Kurt Vonnegut Harrison Bergeron short story? It's that. Okay. I remember we talked about this. Yeah, yeah. It's literally just that. Resets all your shit. Vernon, how is it for you? It feels like a very sharp inhale of anxiety. Mm Mm-hmm. It's only happening to me at night when I'm trying to fall asleep right now. So like I'll get in bed, I'll I'll get relaxed and then I'll be about to fall asleep. And then I'll just get this like really sharp pain, pain of anxiety of like something is very wrong and we have to deal with it right now. And like I sit up in bed, I'm like, what the fuck was that? I've only gotten them a couple times. Like I've known people who have like had trouble withdrawing from SSRIs and like they get it so like on a regular hour by hour basis. They can go on for a really long time. Mine like got to a point where they were so bad where like I was supposed to walk home from a John Mulaney stand up set and I literally like I had to sit on the steps and wait for somebody to get me because I could not walk more than like three steps. Oh my God. It's not very good. Don't recommend it. I feel like I sound like I'm trashing SSRIs right now. That shit rips. I got through a lot of stuff, like, thanks to Prozac. No, but it can be time to go off a medication. That doesn't mean the medication doesn't mean that it wasn't worthwhile and important when you took it. But if you think you might not need it, it's worthwhile asking that question and see where it takes you. Yeah. I had a lot of fears about having to be on SSRIs for the rest of my life. The jury's still out on that, but I think it's, like, just an important part of, I guess, getting better to see if, again, I can walk on the sprained ankle or if the ankle is healed, you know? Also, folks, if you have to up your dosage, that's also fucking fine. You're trying to get to a place where it helps you. I literally, not 30 minutes prior to starting this stream, was on a call with my psychiatrist where she was like, all right, we're bumping the Remeron up. That's, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> yeah. So uh, highly recommend Remeron. It's good if you want to sleep and also eat a ton in the middle of the night. So anyway, Brian, what are your peaches? My first peach, and we kind of talked about this before. I was going to say, I hope my video is high quality because I got this new webcam and I guess it's not because <laughs> this thing, like it does not appear to be functioning as it should, but I'm glad I got it because at least I can record. It seems like an internet connection thing because you so consistently have shit on the internet. Huh. That's weird. But anyway, I'm happy with my purchase. I did curbside pickup at Best Buy and it was a joy. So that's my first peach. My second peach is that we let one of our pet snails crawl on Audrey's hand, and it was the most exciting thing that has ever happened. Wow. And she was squealing the whole time, and it was very, very cute and exciting, and she was just in heaven as this slimy little bugger just like crossed her hand. Oh, delightful. Yeah. How big of a snail is this? Standard land snail size. She was very, very excited but by this snail crawling on her hand. It was very cute. And it felt like to her, I think a little bit dangerous because you know, they're tiny and they're slimy and they're a little bit gross, but they're very cute. So that was really fun. And my third peach is that we got to do this stream together. Yay. Wow. Boys. And we got through it without any real technical mix-ups. We had a real hiccup an hour before where I was like, oh no, this is the worst possible time for shit to go wrong. (laughs) Yeah, about an hour before, we thought we might not be able to use this platform. It totally worked out, but- We just had to give them a lot of money. We thought we could do it for free and it turns out we couldn't, but that's fine. 
it's fine. But we did it. We made it happen. This is something we've been promising to do for, I don't know, three or four months. It was our first goal. And then we said, you know what? Actually, we're close enough to that goal. We're going to do it. I think that was November and maybe even October. And we finally did it. And not only did we do it, we got the best person possible to join us on this thing, which is Mr. Vernon Shaw. Whichever side he's on. He's on this side for me. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a joy when I get to see you guys. Yeah, Vernon, I love you. You're my best friend. One day I will kill you uh, or you'll come kill me. (laughs) Either works. And it's a pleasure to have you on the show. It really is. Like we were saying before, Dude, we've known each other for a long time and I love you as well. And I just think you're the best. And I love you guys too. With Vernon, I don't mean this to sound like a diss. I feel like people don't give you the credit you deserve for how smart and creative and talented you are because you really are great at so many things. Uh, I don't know, man. I'm just trying to show up to work, right? It's what we're all doing. But you constantly are reinventing yourself and trying new shit. And it's just so impressive. And you just, in my view... You just succeed, 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 succeed. It's hit after hit after hit. Oh, I should show you the fucking graveyard of failed ideas. <laughs> oh, well, same, of course. You're very genuinely just like one of the most genuinely fundamentally good human beings that I've ever met. Like oh, guys. very cornerstone of your fucking personality and repeatedly like hold yourself to it. Vernon, I'm setting you up for a fucking bit softball here and I really need you to hit it. I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I'm just a little teary eyed after someone said something nice about me. Of course, as we all are. Where can people find you and would you like to plug anything? You cannot find me. You can try to find me. I stopped having a social media presence maybe three or four years ago. Probably one of the best things that happened to me healthily. With that said, uh, you might be able to find me on Letterboxd, I guess. That's about it. (laughs) You did a really baller review. That's actually what I want to close out on really quickly. Does anyone remember this Ask Reddit thread that like, I can't find it? Okay, I can't find it anymore. And it's so fucking formative to like my understanding of horror. There was an ask Reddit that was, where someone's like, hey, who has weird concert experiences? And then this one guy was like, well, yeah, I was at a Beck concert once. And then Beck and his band came out. But there was another band member there. And he was dressed exactly like Beck. And he looked exactly like Beck. But he didn't sing or talk at all. He just stood off a few feet from to the side and behind Beck mimicking him perfectly as if he were Beck's shadow. And it was funny for the crowd at first, and then it eventually got weirder and weirder because, like, the shadow Beck wasn't playing instruments. He was just miming playing instruments. So there was this, like, creepy quality to it. I can't remember why, but someone from the crowd ends up touching shadow Beck when he gets close enough to the edge of the stage. And then the music stops, and then shadow Beck starts screaming, and he begins disintegrating. But also the woman who touched him starts screaming, and she begins disintegrating. And then chaos breaks out inside of this tiny rock club where everyone's running towards the exit, and all of Beck's bandmates sort of like run up and surround Beck and like force him out of the rock club and into their tour van, and they screech away into the night. And the whole time that was happening, Beck just kept saying over and over again, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry. And I can't find that. I've been searching for it for days and I can't find it anywhere. And I'm worried that this is like a Candle Cove situation. Uh, does anybody else remember <laughs> the time that Becky 
Yeah, you should follow Vernon on Letterboxd, which he refused to actually say what his Letterboxd is, but it's Ghost Mall. Yes, I'm Ghost Mall on Letterboxd. Although, if you have anything you want to say to Vernon online at me and I'll text it to him. Yeah, no, he'll make sure I get that immediately. Yeah, that's right. Basically, if you call any friendly bird to your home, you can, you know, befriend it with little treats. If it's like a crow, you can give it some like quarters or something. Yeah. But you can tie a message to the leg of the bird and then the bird will fly to Vernon's apartment and then his dog will eat it. So... Yeah. Maybe he'll find it in the shit. I don't know. Someone answered this question about Beck. DM Brent. Sorry, DM Brian the answer. <laughs> what the? I I talked to you for two and a half hours. Two and a half hours. <laughs> We've known each other for like eight years and you can't even get my name right. That is disrespectful and upsetting. Well, this has been the great only time I've ever been on Late Night, guys. The first and last, folks. <laughs> What's the key and peel quote? It's like disrespectful and churlish. <laughs> from the substitute teacher sketch. I can't remember what the first word is, but I remember Churlich. When great something comes great responsibilitrix. <laughs> oh, believe me, we have talked about Terry's on this show. Vernon and I's like DMs is very much us throwing like either horrible shit or just like whitest kids you know or Key and Peel sketches back and forth. Like, as we said, a little crow bringing a shiny quarter to you. Anyway, folks, merch for patrons. Late and night merch. We have a very sexy shirt. We have a very sexy hat. Patrons, you get first dibs on this extremely limited quantity that we printed for our last show that got canceled March of last year. <laughs> so if you want to hop on it, all patrons, all tiers, you will get the link to the store that is password protected, wink, 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 special password. And then we haven't like really discussed when this is happening, but if there's shit still available, we will make it available to the public. But you guys have been amazing supporters. So and not to brag, but I model the shirt. Yes. And you look amazing doing it. I want to thank all of you who support us on Patreon. This is honestly what lets us keep doing the show. We've seen a lot of supporters come in in the last couple of weeks. I think we got like 50 new people in the last couple of weeks. So really, it means the world to us that y'all are here. So we're just going to keep getting bigger and better. We have lots of guests coming up in the next few weeks, which are very, very exciting. If there's anyone that you want to see us put on the show, you could put it on the Discord, but often those get kind of buried as new messages come in. If there's someone you really want to see, who you think we can reasonably get, who's not like Kamala Harris on the, you know, <laughs> like if there's someone you think we could actually get, I would love to hear what that is. But really, thank you all for supporting us on the Patreon and for being here today with us. And people who showed up to be here for this very first live episode of Late Night, uh, all 87 of you in the chat. Thank you. Yeah, we will do this again. I apologize if we didn't get to your question. Hopefully we got to a bunch of them, but if we didn't get yours, you can always throw it on the questions tab in the Discord and see if we pick it up there. But with that, Leighton, is there anything you want to tell people to do? Am I supposed to? I mean, the thing you say at the end of... Every episode. Oh, 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 yeah. Folks, go get a jar of mayo out of your fridge and force it on. I thought this was a stay safe, come hard, Spike. We're changing that. The new catchphrase is chow down on those tozy wozies. <laughs> I'm going to get my axe and I'm going to do a one-two stop. <laughs> so one of you fucking pull straws for who goes first. Anyway, everyone else on this planet, except for Brian and Vernon, stay safe. Come hard, Brian and Vernon. I'm coming for you. Wait, no, it doesn't work in context. It's not so much. <laughs> oh, you sicko. Hell yeah. That's the end of the fucking episode. Goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. Hey, everybody. It's Brian. Uh, <laughs> after we finished recording this episode, Layden and Vernon and I hopped on a little Discord call 
where we learn that Vernon did not think that Rachel's interruptions about marriage counseling were a bit. And this makes me really, really, really happy, just because I think that's very, very funny. So as soon as we realized what was going on, Layton started recording our Discord call. So I present to you now the audio from that call. One of mine and Layton's favorite things to watch is Custom Girl 420's <laughs> wife coming in and starting shit with him while he was on... Uh... He was on a live stream and his wife comes in and screams at him and so <laughs> Like the whole time I felt on my back foot because like I was like, nice. weird. do I talk about this? No, we talked about doing that. I asked her if she wanted to interrupt with a bit and she came up with that. Fucking brilliant. You guys are sick. You knew that was a bit, right? I immediately knew it was a bit, yeah. I was trying my fucking hardest to talk about the major pentatonic scale, which I know very little about. Uh, (laughs) So you were just nervously playing the fucking melodica, just like, show must go. Because like, I was like, all right, I sort of have this bit half formed. If I concentrate, I can sort of lay the tracks of the bit in front of me. Well, the other thing is she couldn't hear you and she timed it so that every time you started to talk, it was a complete coincidence and it worked out so great. I love it so much. Right, man. Brian, will you call Rachel in? <laughs> Every scam needs a Patsy, Layton. And you played the Patsy perfectly. <laughs> Hi, Rachel. Vernon has something he wants to tell you. <laughs> I, I thought it was real <laughs> the entire time. I spent the rest of the record like, God, like, I can't wait to get off of this call so I can smoke weed and process that. Like, oh, honey, I'm so just, sorry. No, don't, don't be. This this is the equivalent of, like, getting gold in the Olympics, right? Like, you, you, yeah, you knocked did it. You that sold bit it. out of the park, Rachel. Jesus I'm Christ. So sorry. Rachel, the highest fucking honors i like i can i cannot express to you how deeply impressed i am with your comedic timing and ability oh thank you late night is produced by brian wett leighton gray and jarek centeno follow us on twitter at leighton night on instagram at leighton underscore night or email us at leighton at gmail.com 